Hey, welcome back to the Dose of D podcast, a podcast which shines a light on the Canadian fashion industry. Joining me today is James from Wexley Coat, and uh, we're going to talk about all things inventory, manufacturing, COVID crisis, and PPE, which stands for um, Personal Protective Equipment. Before I start this interview, I wanted to give a giant shout out to Conceptual Events Society, who sponsors this podcast. As well, James had asked me to um, give a special shout out to My Storage, who is helping Wuxley to supply trucks and storage units um, with PPE supplies and uh, helping those guys get their supplies out to the healthcare workers as quickly as possible. Silkies, if you do not follow me on Instagram, make sure you do at dsilky. And you can also check out my online store. So there's a link in a bio. And um, I'm selling tie-dye silk pillowcases, some silk clothing, and fingers crossed those tie-dye sweaters are going to be available sometime soon. Um, Also, if you are familiar with the money coat, just a quick update. We have reached our goal of funding. We've actually almost doubled that goal, which is fantastic. And if you have not donated to the money coat, but that's something that you feel like you want to do, we are still accepting donations and um, that money will go towards marketing the money coat as well as future products. Um, You know how expensive like samples can be and there's so many hidden costs when making things so we are still accepting donations to do that you can simply make a donation to our email address info at dsilky.com and when you make a donation of $30 or more you actually receive a gift and that gift is some of our old inventory that we're trying to get rid of so make sure if you do make a donation over $30 that you slide into our Instagram DMs with your name and mailing address and your size so that we can get you um, your gift. Without further ado, here is James from Wuxley Coat. Enjoy the show. I feel like there's going to be a lot of editing in this. <laughs> Wait, can you like swear on this? Yeah. It's like two artists trying to figure out technology. What are we thinking? <laughs> Super excited to have you here, James, and I think this is going to be a really good interview, and we have lots of things in common from a business perspective, Uh, but before we jump in and start talking about inventory and winter coats and manufacturing in Canada and all that good stuff, um, I just wanted to do like a quick introduction to some Silkies that are listening who may not be familiar with your brand, so I just wanted to quickly read something that I pulled from your website. Um, So it says, former Canadian pro football player, James Juracek, am I saying that right, James? You got it. Juracek has always been well-versed with the cold. In 2012, James and Brazilian girlfriend Daniela moved from the West Coast to Toronto. Lover of wildlife technology and all things Canadian, James took it upon himself to find Daniela her first parka. With no luck in sourcing a Canadian outerwear company that embraced the values of quality materials, high performance, animal-friendly, and Canadian-made, he approached his longtime friend and master tailor, Anthony DeBartolo, to design a warm winter parka. The final result? Canadian-made outerwear utilizing highly advanced technical materials, creating a revolutionary tech-based outerwear that is leaner, lighter, and warmer, while being respectful to the planet and all living things. And uh, James, I was actually at a pitch event last spring where I saw you present your brand and I loved what you said. 
because at the time, um, your girlfriend, Daniela, uh, was new to Canada and you said, obviously your winter coats are good because, um, how, how many years ago was that? 2012. So eight years later, she's still here and now you're married with like three kids. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's warm beginnings to our brand, um, that story, but that's the whole focus and core behind our brand. It's it's warmth is the whole why behind Luxley. It predicates all decisions we make and uh, from the sourcing of fabrics to where we get the productions done and uh, including the fabrics that we use and, and the way that we uh, treat our community and everyone uh, that we come in touch with. So I guess, first of all, James, let's dive right into what you're working on now, which is making PPE, personal protective equipment, um, because of COVID-19. And I've, I found this really interesting that um, typically, I can hear the little kitties in the background, um, that typically, you know, can, Canadian designers were at a lack of uh, government funding, you know, we're not considered artists, so we don't get that arts funding. And then it's it's very difficult for us to find uh, small business funding as well when we're competing with, you know, tech brands or um, other leaders in the in the startup space. So it's been interesting to me that um, we have typically or historically such little. Uh, financial support from the government and as a result such poor resources for manufacturing here and yet fashion was one of the very first industries to be able to pick up and pivot and to serve our country when COVID hit so can you tell me about what Wuxley is doing um, to help with the crisis right now? Yeah uh, surely uh, I appreciate that the um, yeah it's it's interesting how um, you know the making of things, just, you know, simple things uh, just has become a lost art. And so um, us at Wuxley, of course, we have a, a team of designers, pattern makers, textile engineers and production and logistic managers on our team just because we were making some of the world's most technical outerwear here in Canada. And so we were well positioned once um there was a call out for manufacturers here in Canada because, you know, this has been our bread and butter for our first uh, four or five years in business. And so um, when we saw the opportunity, of course, we wanted to help is the Canadian thing to do. And we saw that there was a lot of manufacturers out there that wanted to help, but everyone kind of had their palms in the air and they're like, Hey, what can we do? And um, it was, it's hard for some of these small to medium sized shops to communicate to the government and so uh, what we did was, um, you know, we're, we're that missing link. And then we, we uh, formed a manufacturing alliance with about uh, seven, eight factories. And uh, we said, hey, let us take care of all the design, the pattern making and the sourcing and, and uh, bring this project to life. And, and we'll bring the, the work to our team and keep everyone, um, keep everyone in, in their, um, their factories going while while serving a, a great cause for the frontline workers. Quick question. What does technical outerwear mean? So, so tech, you know, that's a good question. Cause you know, when I first started, I didn't really understand it, but you know, my interpretation is, is just, uh, is the, the fine details that go into each, um, in each garment. It's the, um, 
it's the attention to detail. I'll say uh, every every measurement, every fabric chosen, every every little you know curve and cut and stitch has a purpose behind it, and you know mm -hmm. all of these factors together make it technical outerwear. Okay. And so when you say that you're partnering with this, these handful of manufacturers, they're not fashion manufacturers. Yeah. Correct? Yeah. Most of them are, uh, most of them are fashion manufacturers, but we also went to like out of the, the box partners, like, uh, auto seat assemblers and, and, uh, you know, you know, furniture guys and, and, you know, together we made this team of, uh, you know, it was just, it was a great, you know, it was a great kind of, um, feel good kind of team aspect of it because everyone just wanted to help. And um, so we just assembled every needle and sewer in town that, that wanted to help with this cause. I'm uh, I'm surprised that you were able to find that many manufacturers because I know from uh, my experience, I've had such a hard time yeah. finding like um, fashion manufacturers in Canada. Um, I'm curious, are, is the partnership that you have with them sort of like you're the distributor? Like you're the one taking on the, the risk of hiring these guys and then selling them the mass? Or is there a government component where you bid on some sort of contract um, to be able to oversee the manufacturing of like X amount of PPEs for the country? Yeah, so, you know, we're... It, we're more servicing uh, the healthcare systems right now that that they've put in this request, mm -hmm. and so like um, you know it's it's all established before, but like it's it's a production management, and um, there's quite a bit of details of of um, you know managing the production. Uh, it's such a hard thing to do here in Canada, I'd say, and um, you know we have we have a team just like over ten. 10 managers that, that kind of um, make sure there's a good flow uh, between all these factories. You know, they're getting all the pieces they need. They get the raw fabrics, the trims, the bags, the boxes. Um, you know, we teach them, we teach them how to cut. We teach them how to sew. There's, um, you know, every, every little thing, we just try to streamline it across the board so we can get these out as quick as possible and as efficiently as possible uh, so they can serve the, uh, get to the people on the front line. And uh, you made a comment on the phone to me the other day. You said that the the competition within the the PPE market is as intense as the competition in the in the regular fashion industry. What did you mean by that? Oh, just because um, you know, there's a sudden surge for the need for PPE. Uh, we're concentrating on medical gowns, but um, every every floor around the world, I'd probably imagine, is is working on. PPE that well all, I almost say every but almost every like manufacturing floor and there's a worldwide shortage of uh, materials that are used for PPE so you know uh, which we we try to source um, as much as we can here in Canada to make it a true product of Canada but uh, sometimes mm. when you have to go across the borders um, you know it's it's tough to get it across the borders there's there's countries blocking the trade of, of these materials. And so, um, you know, not only are you fighting with other companies, well, not fighting, but, you know, competing with other companies to get this material and the price is surging, but there's also governments involved. And, and uh, of course, all the logistics are restricted right now because, you know, the world's been turned upside down in the last two months. So 
you know, we're battling all these things. And then when we get into Canada, even on the, the, the production floor, everyone's um, looking to get this work done. So, um, you know, it's a competitive market out there, I'd say. Yeah. Um, I've found too, even my supply chain is, is backed up with um, products that I normally get here. Yeah. So I, I hear you for sure that even just finding materials right now is a struggle. Uh-huh. Um, so I'm, I'm, I want to dig more into your experience with manufacturing. Um, you know, you've started this business in 2012 and you're trying your best to have this be a truly Canadian product. What has your experience been when trying to find people to sew these coats? Like, are you, um, it, it doesn't sound like you do that, like all the sewing and, and manufacturing in house. It sounds like you outsource that yeah. or maybe I'm wrong, yeah. but what has your experience been in terms of like getting your products made and at the level that you want to have them made? Yeah, no, it's, uh, I'll be honest. It's been a challenge since we started this business. Um, you know, at, at first I, I always, um, you know, I, we started this about, you know, just over five years ago and, and went to market in November, 2015. And so when we first began, I was obviously green. So, you know, for the first two or three years, I'll say a lot of the challenges, um, that, that, uh, making a Canadian made product were probably bought on by myself and my team. Cause we're, we're just so green in the industry. We, we didn't really understand, uh, you know, you think it's it's not quite like making a T-shirt when you make a jacket. There's so much intricacies involved. There's about 40 different components within a jacket. And, um, and you know, we we had to learn how to really cater to the manufacturers um, to make sure it's a smooth production because, you know, everything has to run smooth from start to finish because in Canada, when they're paying the, the workers 16 18 bucks an hour, you know, a few minutes really counts if, the, if there's any delays or bottlenecks during the production. When it's overseas, it's not such a big deal because it's just a few cents or, you know, a couple dimes. But in here, we're talking about dollars. And when there's 100 sewers on the, the floor and there's, you know, 15 minute delay or a couple hour delay, well, you can see how that, yeah. that really adds up really yeah. quick. And so, um, you know, we'll, Build. I've I've always told our um, our team that the relationships in Canadian manufacturing are golden. So, you know, we got to treat them with a lot of respect and, and so um, serve our work on a silver platter. And uh, it's it's funny because when you go to work overseas, um, it's like, you know, they're really hungry for the work. But over here, it's it's uh, I'd say that it it's almost like um, it's almost like they're your customer, even though you're, you're paying them, <laughs> you know, I have felt that. Yes. Yeah. And they can, uh, the fact of the matter is, you know, there's not a lot that still do it. And, um, you know, some, there is a bit of a, the infrastructure problem. I'll, I'll say about that, but they can, they can pick and choose the work that they take on. And, um, you know, there's some companies that, that have, um, you know, done a great job, I'd say, of, of managing productions here in Canada. And so um, when it, when there's easy work uh, that they, they understand that, you know, they and they can see that it's good flow of work for months and months or, or maybe even years, they'll be quick to put it on. But, uh, you know, if it's a startup or, you know, if you're just looking to do, you know, small production runs of, you know, 
whether it's, depending what it is, a few hundred pieces, um, you know, it doesn't become that interesting to them. So, like, when, when you're dealing with the manufacturers, you really got to sell them on the vision and the potential, and you really got to cater to them to make it a, a smooth production for them so they're, they're, they're making the margins they need to make. And I love what you just said about they're not really interested if it's a, quote, small order of a few hundred pieces, because yeah. I know that it's it takes time to build up your your clientele yeah. um so going into production and making something in a few hundred um pieces is like very intimidating when you're just starting out and you don't have a few hundred customers lined up yeah um and also when you're like really figuring out who you are as a designer and like that time to experiment and to try new products and to test the market yeah it's hard because you want to get your price point down and to do that you have to make these like large minimum order quantities yeah um but then a lot of times um i found in my experience you get stuck with that inventory so i want to move i want to move into inventory issues in just a second but before i do that um i picked up on something else that you said when you were talking about ppes and that was trying to source as many materials as possible in canada so that you could have a truly canadian product and um that's something that's that i've um sort of struggled with internally uh, just on a personal level of what is a Canadian product and like how much of my product needs to be from Canada for it to truly be considered a Canadian product. Yeah. And I know that there's a lot of brands out there that market themselves as a Canadian brand, but they're really not. They're getting, um, well, I shouldn't say that they're really not, yeah. but they are getting um, their pieces made overseas. And then maybe like they're just adding a zipper when it gets sent back to Canada and then they're kind of able to go through that loophole of calling it Canadian. And so like what for me personally, does it mean to be a Canadian brand? Yeah, Yeah, no, I'm I'm totally on the same page with you on that. And uh, you know, it doesn't, you know, um, to make it qualify as made in Canada, at least 51% of the manufacturing expenses have to happen in Canada. But you know, sometimes if they're getting a production done for, you know, you know, say they're making a jacket for, you know, 15 bucks overseas and then, you know, they're, you know, there's $16 of operations, like putting a a zipper on here, um, you know, it's a loophole to get in. And and that, that offends me kind of, or that kind of, you know, rubs me the, it's a stone in my shoe, not just as a, a jacket manufacturer and a Canadian business owner, it, as a Canadian, it it uh, rubs me a bit because um, you know I'm a real enthusiast of this country and and if we're gonna do it made in Canada, you know make sure all the cutting, the sewing, stitching all happens in Canada to, to make sure it's a made made in Canada product and then to go to the next level to have a true product of Canada, which is a very difficult thing to do because there's there is not a lot of fabrics available. Nine, right. 98% of the operations have to happen in Canada. So um, you have to have the triple transformation of the fabric so that, you know, the first, you know, literally like cutting off the, you know, plate from the plant that it might derive from, um, transforming into yarn and then uh, weaving the yarn and then dyeing the yarn or finishing the yarn. That's called triple transformation. And, you know, there's single transformation uh, double transformation that happens in Canada sometimes, but triple is very rare. And then when you have yeah. the cut, the cut uh, and sew operation, uh, you know you can certainly 
get that done here in Canada, that, that's always going to be the biggest expense when you're doing a, a Canadian manufacturing run. And you've been, have you been able to make any products that are truly made in Canada? So like not true, yeah. like a hundred percent or like 99 or like everything but the fabric or. Yeah. So, so everything we've ever made has been made in Canada. Everything we've ever cut, sewn and made has always been in Canada. So like, um, but product of Canada, actually these gowns uh, I was looking into cause we're, we're finding some unique suppliers for, for some of the disposable, uh, some of the disposable gowns where, um, it's a true, it's, Call it, it's considered a product of Canada once 98%. And I, and I think that we do qualify. I'm, I'm going to have to call uh, some of these suppliers is just to see whether they're making to confirm they're getting their yarn here from inside Canada. But um, that's actually one of the proud points of being part of this project that we can make those products in Canada. Well, I would assume that um, that fabric would, if the disposable fabric would, would be like almost like a paper, wouldn't it? And we have such a strong forestry industry. Uh, yeah. You know what? I, um, yeah, I'll have to, I'll have to check into it. Yeah. There is, I, I don't know the exact ingredients, but, um, yeah, they are, they are kind of light and, you know, they're one-time use and, and, um, there's quite a, a bit of technical features behind them. Um, but yeah, I think, I think, uh, there is a good chance that they're, they are Canadian derived. And then in terms of the coats um, and the, the Wuxley brand itself, like how, how does that sort of pan out? Yeah. So, um, you know, that's something we're always striving for uh, to get closer and closer to a product in Canada. Um, right now there's about 40 different components. And so to do that, um, there's just not all those, those uh, raw materials available within Canada. And so, um, you know, we'll continue to strive for this, but, you know, I think this this whole situation um, has given given new outlook on the importance of Canadian manufacturing. Like when there, when yeah. we had uh, hospitals calling, they had you know only two days left of PPE, and they're like everyone's kind of handcuffed and and trying to get things rolling. There was really nothing we could uh, we could do because the infrastructure wasn't built out. We always relied on other countries to get these things for cheaper. Um, and, you know, now everyone's like saying, hey, we, we need to reshore manufacturing. We need to bring it back here because, you know, whether it's, you know, a, a pandemic like we're having right now, a trade war, any other kind of things, we got to resecure the supply chain to to make sure that we're safe here in Canada. And, and you know, even with, uh even when you come to the winter, there's other things we have to battle. Even the winter time, people got to stay warm. And, you know, we have enough jackets uh, to suit us today, but what about five years down the road? We got to, we got to make sure that we have always an abundance of, of good manufacturing infrastructure in Canada. Yeah. I'm really hoping that this shines a light on the, the issues that we have from a manufacturing perspective in this country and that, this does change the mindset, not only of consumers, but of um, business owners and um, the powers that be who, who, who help manufacturing um, get put into place. Because I've definitely struggled with finding um, local manufacturers who are cost effective. Um, so let's talk about um, inventory. 
So we, we touched a little bit on what it's like when you're a new designer and you're just starting out and you're trying to get your price points competitive. And we've talked about manufacturing um, in Canada versus overseas a little bit. I want to talk to you about what it's like being a, a coat designer because um, coats are, you know, you talked about all the, the technical pieces that are involved and how just in one coat there can be, you know, over 40 different um, steps involved and pieces involved in making that coat. So with all of that hard work and quality poured into a design, you're obviously, you know, selling it for more than a t-shirt and, and it's not something that everybody can necessarily afford or maybe when you're competing with other outerwear brands that are more well-known um, like Canada Goose or Macage, uh, you know, those coats are top of mind and those brands have, have a bigger budget to advertise to people that are looking for a winter coat. So when you are selling and you have inventory that maybe is not moving, um, not because the coat isn't like a kick-ass coat. What do you do with that that inventory from three years ago that's still super sexy? It's still a super, super warm, durable, amazing coat, but maybe, you know, you have to you're kind of like still having to produce the coat in 2018, 2019, 2020, and and the coat from 2017 is just as is just as good, but it's not like the it new thing and it's harder to market. Like how what are you doing with that issue? Yeah. Or do you have that issue? Yeah, I think um it's it all starts with like doing your uh it all starts at the beginning with your production forecasting. You know, um inventory is the only thing that killed more people than the plague. So you always gotta be uh you always gotta be careful how many units you're ordering as, as a designer and and so you know if you're if you're just starting off you don't want to go to a factory that's you know 100 plus people you might want to just go to a factory that you might have you know six ten people in the back kind of deal and and kind of grow and then the next step will be uh you know maybe visiting a factory that's 30 to 40 people then and you work your way up so you want to match yourself with uh someone right from the beginning because you can get a lot of pressure from the manufacturers if they want more units or they're going to be like oh if you uh if, if you go from 100 to 500 or 500 to 1000 there's a you know a three percent price break and you like you do the math in your head you're like oh you're like oh that's you know five thousand dollars of savings or whatever but you can't look at the savings you got to look at what you got to spend and, and what you can actually um sell sell through that season and so yeah you know um you know sometimes if you if you cut with like odds and ends um you know you, there's there's different strategies that companies do um you know they you know obviously the easiest one is discount that's a double-edged sword uh, that's something that we've always avoided from the beginning because, you know, uh, like the clients in the community get trained that, you know, Black Friday, we know it's going to be, you know, 200 bucks off. So I'm not going to buy at regular price or, or you know, I find that you sometimes disappoint some of the, the consumers because uh, if, if they bought it full pop early in the season and they, you know, they, they're an early adopter of your brand and then, you know, you come in later and you uh, they resell at, at a higher price. And so, you know, we, we try to make uh, all our, our pieces contemporary, but also timeless too. So, you know, if there's a few odds and ends that are, are um, still left over at the season, 
you carry you carry you carry it into next season and you know you just have to account for that with the next season's forecasting um so you know there's other ways you get out in front of the people you can you can work special arrangements you can work with uh influencers and and those are other ways to, to help move through the product um you know there's you gotta you gotta be a hustler i'll say um because you you know you you always want you always gotta keep the cash moving but um you know you don't want to just you don't want to um, tarnish tarnish the brand image and, and, and things by uh, doing too many discounts, but like it's it's you know over the last ten years, it's really become like a discount environment. So it become it becomes more challenging and challenging, especially as things go online. Um, you know, everyone's looking for the D word. So you know, as far and then adding COVID nineteen, the, the discount, the everyone's looking for oh. that discount <laughs> online, right? Um, so. You know, it depends yeah. what sector you're really going for. You know, if you're going, if you're going, if if it's a mid market piece, then you, you can probably get away for it. If you're going for the premium luxury, then you know you probably want to uh, avoid as much as you can. But um, you know, it's it's uh, you got to. I guess you got to figure out. You know, what's that sweet spot with the price, and and maybe it's it's being a little bit more humble at the beginning. So where, you know, you don't you don't have to do a discount, but you know, it's, it's within people's affordability range and, and, and build that value up as you build the trust and, and uh, on your quest to that, you know, those perfect products that just hit it out of the park. And then, you know, three, five years down the road, you keep building up that value, keep on building up that value, your reputation is good in the market. And then people understand why, you know, you're selling that, that sweet sweater for 150 or 200 bucks or whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, okay, so just to kind of um, wrap up, I think we talked about most of the issues that I, I wanted to talk about. Um, just a couple quick things left on the dock. Um, the first being, how do you see consumer mindset changing during all this? Because I've noticed a shift um, with my business that it seems like people are more willing to support um local Canadian businesses and also spend that little bit extra uh, money, which is funny because we're going through such a hard time financially as a country, people are losing their jobs, um, really like pinching their pennies. But I've noticed that people are actively looking mm -hmm. to buy what they would normally buy in Canada and spend that extra dollar, which is amazing. Do you think that that's going to be a continued trend when things start to well hopefully level back out and quote back go back to normal and quote um or you think that 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 is just a, a trend right now yeah um you know what like um it's hard to say but i think i think there will be um additional support for buying local because you know every, you know the theme of this whole um covid is you know we're all in this together and and you know in this together, you mostly think about community and the people around and supporting those people. And, you know, everyone know everyone has a friend that's, you know, could use that, that extra bump or, or extra push from the community. So hopefully it does um, drive that, that um, urge to, to spend more locally. But, you know, at, at the end of the day, we, we always see that, uh, you know, the price price point is, is always like such an important factor for people, especially, 
when they're when we're uh, putting through such a trying time. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see what what comes out the other side. But um, you know, I think whatever you're doing uh, as a brand at this time, stay authentic to who you are, get close to who your community is, and and I think that you know if if you can do that and and uh, you know. You- um, just one more question. And then I want to end with, with you sort of doing like a small little pitch to the listeners about your coats and what makes you different and special yeah. than other coats on the market. But, um, my last question before we get to the wrap up is, um, have you ever thought about expanding your manufacturing in the sense that like you, you have your own plan or maybe you get connected with a handful of other local designers and like do something together or just basically have more control on your manufacturing and, and develop your own program even maybe where you're like you're training the sewers or, or some, some sort of like collective like that. Yeah, no, I, I think it's always a dream to, to own, um, you own your own facility to, to do manufacturing, just, you know, having total control of, of, um, of the operations, but it is, uh, same time, it is such a challenge. You know, you just got to have operational excellence to reach that level. And so, you know, they say that you don't want to be walking forward with the marketing and sales and backwards at the same time. But, um, you know, I'm, I, I come from a sports background and I think if you have a great team and you have a team that can trust, um, you know, the, you can, you can do great things, uh, beyond what, what people may say. And so I think that there is an opportunity for, for, um, designers to get to that level, but, um, and, you know, I, I think, uh, but right now it's, it's leaving the expertise of, um, in the manufacturing's hands and, and, uh, but we'll, we'll see down the road. James, uh, I want to thank you for your time. But before we go, I was hoping you could um, maybe just do like a quick one to two minute explanation about Wuxley Code. I didn't do this at the beginning because I wanted to really focus on the other things um, first. And I know you probably get asked this question a lot and I didn't want to bore you, but I think it's only fair to people who are listening who maybe aren't familiar with the brand, but have been intrigued by this interview. Um, can Can you tell us like what is at the core of Waxley. Yeah. What makes you guys different um, from an ethos perspective and a design perspective? Yeah. So on the product side, uh, we we really believe in like technical excellence. We uh, we make all our jackets in the motherland of outerwear. That's Canada, and we use you know the hundreds of years of expertise of our manufacturing partners and and uh, the skill sets of our pattern makers, designers, uh, drafters, and and we. Uh, put together some of the world's most technical outerwear from an ethos standpoint warmth is at the center of our brand um it's uh you know the way we execute on warmth is uh ensuring that all of our um all of our garments are um, sustainable um they're free of any animal byproducts um we uh we've created closed loop uh fashion circles uh, and uh and we like to treat our community and all our customers in this warm vibe. So every time you, you wear on uh, wear our coat, the warm vibes that went into the jackets can be spread back out into the world. And so live warm for our brand mantra. And uh, we really live it here at Waxley. Jeez, you're painting a picture. I'm just seeing people in your coats like drinking cocoa. <laughs> um. Yeah. Cocoa, <laughs> beer, the- all of the above. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's the 
closed loop fashion circle. So, you know, after we've worn our jackets for five years, uh, we actually have the opportunity to bring it back and, um, you know, purchase a new one. We give you a credit on the old one and we, we find a way to redistribute the, the older uh, jacket. Is that because like the warranty runs out or you, or you're, that's, is that a way of giving back yeah. and you give the old coats to like the homeless community or? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's both, um, you know, keeps them with our brand family and, you know, rather than, you know, having all these jackets stuffed up in a closet, um, you know, we can, we can get them to, to good use. That's awesome. And um, you mentioned too, that it's sustainable. Uh, and I, I always am curious about that because there's so many different elements that, that contribute to a sustainable model. Yeah. When you say your brand is sustainable, do you mean from like a environmental standpoint mm-hmm. or a social standpoint yeah. or um, yeah. how do you mean? Yeah. Um, you know, I'd say from, from both social, um, just making sure that we're, we're making the products here in Canada but from an environmental as well. Um, so we've moved to totally biodegradable insulation. Uh, we have um, biodegradable um, fa- uh, fabrics on the, on the shell and then the lining and a lot of our jackets. And we even have a, a jacket coming out this year that's 95% uh, biodegradable, the whole the entire jacket. So don't worry, it's not gonna disintegrate wow. on you. It's only in you know an ocean or, or gar- landfill environment where it, it biodegrades. So you're not going to be cut, caught in like a rainstorm and your jacket disintegrates. It's going to, it only happens in uh when it's, when it's uh, left, um, you know, for in a, in a environment like that for, you know, half a year. Well, that's great. Well, um, James, thanks again uh, so much. I really hope we can continue to, um, chat and get to know each other better and maybe even do a collaboration down the road. But I think this was, uh, was really great. And I will let you go because I know you have a full day of PPE work ahead of you. <laughs> I appreciate it, Dee. And, and, uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, love the idea of collaborating down the road and, uh, keep fighting the good fight. Love to hear when people are uh, bringing the manufacturing back home. Uh, we love to hear yeah. that at Wesley. So, so keep it up and I will catch you out here on the streets, hopefully, after we get on this other side of COVID, because we're going to get through this uh, hopefully very soon. Great. Sounds great. Thank you, James. Take care now.